0: Hi everybody, Katie Reif here from the A V Club, and this week on Film Club we've got a special guest. Hi Ignati.
1: Hi Katie.
0: Once again Ignati Vishnevetsky is joining us and we'll be discussing the new Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss and the Romanian Neo Noir the Whistlers. Welcome to Film Club. So, Ignati, this is Universal's latest incarnation of the Invisible Man. It's with Bloomhouse, and it's sort of in the Bloomhouse tradition, something that's been very successful for them, is taking established horror tropes and properties and doing versions of them for relatively small budgets and seeing just great returns. Bloomhouse, to its credit, is pretty open in creative control for its directors. And in this case, that is Lee Wannell. And the hook in this one is something that I thought they actually played this scene very well. They make the Invisible Man the antagonist of this the movie. In this film, he's a Silicon Valley billionaire who is also a diabolical, abusive psychopath. And the main character, the protagonist, is actually his partner, this abused woman who escapes from him in the beginning of the film. And I thought it was sort of an interesting take on the well-worn thriller subgenre of a woman losing her mind. And, and Well, everyone thinks she's losing her mind, but really the threat is real, but no one believes her that the threat is real. I thought it was very interesting because usually those films take place in small spaces; mm-hmm. they're sort of chamber pieces, and this one really expanded that into, you know, a, a larger sort of palette for that type of story.
1: But it does it by, I think, making the movie basically a series of small space, like you know, it's a That's series. Of, it's a series of def- different set pieces. It's
0: a series of set pieces, but set pieces nonetheless. Yes.
1: Uh, well executed set pieces, and mm-hmm. I mean nowadays you. You basically can't see a horror movie without watching some kind of metaphor for yeah. uh, grief, family, trauma, yeah. or uh, abusive relationships. Yeah,
0: trauma metaphors are very high. Because that's, that's Mor- where we really... Right now. <laughs>
1: That's what we really go, go for. You know, when we're going to a horror movie, what we really want to see is metaphors. That's what we're there for. We're there for the metaphors. But this one, I, I think, handles it reasonably well.
0: I thought so, too. But
1: I think, really, it handles it well because of the style. And you have mm-hmm. a, this terrific opening that sort of sets a really, really gothic tone to this. Absolutely. You know, you've got oh, this wonderful opening title sequence with waves crashing on rocks, and then you pan up yeah. to this kind of glass and metal and wood mansion that's, I guess, our modern equivalent of yes. a big gothic house. Well,
0: I found that kind of amusing actually because the layout of it and the sort of like cliffside northern California billionaire mansion mm-hmm. and the setup of the lab inside the mansion were pretty similar to the set design from the first Iron Man film. And so they're setting up, you know, the the Invisible Man as sort of the the evil Iron Man, yeah. which was kind of fun.
1: And so you you've got Elizabeth Moss plays the main character mm-hmm. Celia. Cecilia. Yeah. yeah. Who, in the beginning of the film, I I think a really kind of well constructed, I think it's a really terrific opening sequence. Very good. Where she escapes from his house. And then sometime later learns that he has supposedly killed himself and then starts being menaced by some kind of invisible Mm -hmm. presence. And there's a part of this film where we're kind of well ahead of her. Mm -hmm. We know that there is something there. And I think there's a really uh, savvy use of basically a lot of empty space, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of what makes this movie interesting is negative space. Its absence is kind of like we never really see the abuse mm-hmm. that she talks about we open she, at the she
0: can't even talk about it
1: well yeah she can't really ta- she can't even talk about it we kind of open at the moment of escape and so the movie really stakes a lot of that backstory on Moss's performance. Absolutely. And it stakes a lot of, I think, some of its early creepiness and its early scares, not on kind of obvious things happening or, you know, something jumping out, but really on just shots that are maybe framed a little bit too wide or Mm -hmm. these kind of pans that linger just a little bit too long. I
0: thought the pans were really interesting. There are a lot of uh, shots in the film where we'll pan from Elizabeth Moss off to the left or the right and then just look down a long, dark hallway, perhaps with a sheeted figure at the end of it or something like that. And uh, there's a character in the film who, she's a teenage girl and she wants to be a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. So you have the the mannequins sort of hovering menacingly in the background, which I thought was really great. But you make a great point about Elizabeth Moss's performance. We were actually discussing this last night after the screening. This is a specialty of hers, characters who are on the verge of a a, psychotic episode. But something, I think that her performance really really grounds the film in an emotional reality of uh, like trauma and abuse that Mm -hmm. makes the theme work in that it's that feeling of when you have experienced, you know, a, a traumatic event like this, you never feel safe. Mm -hmm. And using the Invisible Man, the literally unseen threat that could be there at any time as sort of the background of the film, I think her performance underlines that in a way that makes it work.
1: And I think a lot of it comes back to the stuff that Lee Wannell, who wrote and directed this, better known for his work with James Wan. Yes. He all, but he also Originally. made Upgrade, which I think is pretty fun.
0: Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Upgrade. We promoted it pretty heavily on AV Club because we were all big fans of it. Yeah, well, now he started out, he wrote Saw mm-hmm. for James Wan and was a screenwriter for a while. And then kind of, I think Insidious 3 was his first directorial effort. Now he's kind of breaking out on his own. He still includes little nods to his work with Wan in the film, like in everything he does. Like in this film, there's at one point there's a sort of a back shot where you see graffiti of Jigsaw from Mm -hmm. the Saw films, but he's doing his own thing now.
1: I'm guessing that some of our viewers, uh, based on comments I've seen elsewhere, Mm -hmm. may feel that the trailer for this film gives far too much away mm-hmm. and that it implies that this is, you know, kind of one of those movies where a character is constantly trying to convince everyone that something is is real mm-hmm. and to a point that just strains credulity. Mm-hmm. You know, like you would, someone would believe them by this point. And I think that actually the film pulls it off really well because I think it has a lot to do with the structure, especially the fact mm-hmm. that there's a large chunk of this film that's actually set over a very short span of time. Yeah. Like it doesn't really let... Uh, the thing go on for too long the
0: whole thing even backstory that informs the story it, it's all about like a month I yeah. think. It, it all takes place over a very short but the, time
1: and there's a middle section It's basically just set over a few hours mm-hmm. but I also like that it's not just about this presence that's menacing her a, a big part of what the invisible man is doing is making it seem like she's doing particular things, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of making it seem like either she's doing things to herself or that she's doing things to other people.
0: He's gaslighting her. Yeah.
1: Now, there are, I think, some issues with pacing toward the end of the Mm -hmm. film, but to me, you know, like the middle section of it, which is kind of a chamber set, like a long series of chamber set pieces, works really well. You know, the opening works really well. There are parts of this film that are basically Elizabeth Moss and some kind of threat. Mm -hmm. Long stretches of the film without any dialogue, which is Mm -hmm. also kind of unusual for a mainstream horror film the the sound design in this is pretty terrific
0: yeah the the sound design is fantastic there's um there's one part where moss she's convinced that her supposedly dead ex is in the room and just the sound design that he does with a sheet Mm -hmm. where she's shaking a sheet is just really good like very scary stuff
1: i should say that this is scary i was i was surprised to find that it's very effectively scary Mm -hmm. there's a point where the person next to me like let out a yelp oh Which is interesting because they've been making movies about the Invisible Man for almost 90 Mm -hmm. years. And it's taken this long to make one that's really legitimately a horror movie. Yeah. If you look at something like Hollow Man, which I think is a lot going... I mean, there's some things about Hollow Man that really don't work. (laughs) But Hollow Man sort of also establishes this idea of just the the Invisible Man as an abusive asshole. Mm -hmm. It also does something which this film doesn't do, Mm -hmm. which is that... It really does a good job of queasily implicating the viewer in the Invisible Man's point of view, mm. in the whole power fantasy of screwing with people and, you know, of being a voyeur. Which this doesn't. The, this,
0: this film is 100% on Cecilia's side. Yeah. They don't give any backstory to uh, his name's Adrian, yeah. the Invisible Man. They don't give him any backstory, anything. He's just pure evil. One thing that I thought was interesting is, uh, like I said, 1L is relatively new, breaking out on his own after this, enjoying this partnership with Juan for a long time. He's definitely, I think, even just with the, these past few films he's done, he's developing a distinctive visual style. Oh yeah, I mean,
1: he, I he loves symmetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's so many symmetrical shots in this mm-hmm. film. And he actually uses the symmetry quite well when he kind of breaks it a little bit. Yeah. You know, like a room will be framed symmetrically and then something is going to happen you know in uh-huh. a corner of it to the right and he also you, you mentioned this but he has kind of a distinctive special effect that he does yep. or a distinctive digital effect that he does which is kind of the character moving or falling back into kind of the whole frame appearing to move with them
0: yeah it's um, it's something that uh, he did a lot in Upgrade and they've worked out some sort of way to do it practically where mm. it's sort of like a steady cam, but it's attached to the actor and even with the you know the pants we were talking about those are very robotic. Yeah, his camera movements are very like mechanical, which is a very interesting counterpart to you know a story that is very psychological and yeah. messy. You know emotionally, I agree that I liked the sort of descent into madness part mm-hmm. a lot. And in the second half, there were certain parts where it got a little bit, it played a little bit loose in ways that I was surprised by. You know, just just little things like I don't need a movie to be completely anchored in reality, mm-hmm. but it's so focused. Folk- Focused on forward momentum in the latter half, that there were a few details that I felt got left by the side a little bit.
1: I mean, it's it's not free of plot holes, yeah. and there are some characters whose relationships seem incredibly vague uh, <laughs> yes. to one another. And uh, you know, I, I do ultimately feel like the ending feels a little bit arbitrary, even though mm-hmm. something kind of big might happen in mm-hmm. it. It does feel arbitrary. I mean, if, it, for everything that is doing so well formally, and for all of these missteps it's not making, I think it ultimately succumbs to a lot of problems with quote-unquote mainstream horror, which Mm -hmm. is that it's engaging something, some irrational fear of ours, you know, like there's someone I can't see in my house Mm -hmm. or someone that hurt me is actually still alive. Mm -hmm. And then finding really rational explanations for them, Ah. irrational within the context of horror, and then ultimately explaining all of those things. I do like the fact that it's not like it plays for a very long time with this idea that it's just all in her head. I mean, we know that there's something there before she does.
0: No, it's 100% on her side, with her. She is right. Everyone else (laughs) is wrong. And I think that that's where this film is most successful, is sort of as like an emotional experience, because there is a lot of tension to it and a lot of atmosphere and... And even when it does kind of stumble a little bit, I think the, the forward momentum is still there.
1: I can't think of another national cinema, at mm-hmm. least a contemporary national cinema, that has done more with the subject of tedium <laughs> than uh, Romanian film, mm-hmm. you know, the Romanian New Wave of the late 2000s, really playing a lot dramatically, sometimes comically, with duration with Mm -hmm. basically testing the characters, patience and in some way the audiences. sometimes. But to to point it ends. And one of the most interesting directors to come out of that is Cornelio Poramboyo. He kind of had his breakthrough with 1208 East of Bucharest and then made Police Adjective, which is a very, it's an experience. Mm -hmm. It's a deconstructed police procedural that really emphasizes some of the moral quandaries of police work, but also the absolute tedium of it (laughs) and so it's interesting to see him return in a film that is actually kind of a sequel to police adjective to the subject of cops and crime and drugs in the whistlers but then in a completely different (laughs) register a completely different mode of kind of deadpan noir i don't even know if it's
0: I would call this a neo-noir. It's not Mm. quite a heist thriller. There's elements of that, but you know, it's funny you talk about tedium because in another director's hands, this could have been a very like bright, just a a madcap over the top film. It's got, you know, the plot is full of uh, betrayals and double crosses Mm -hmm. and all the sort of stuff that you really could play in a very madcap way. But this film sort of, Tamps it down a little bit. That's not to say it's boring to watch at all. Oh, and it's, it's, it's,
1: kind, it's kind of terse and zippy. Yeah, and it's just it is moving zippy. Forward.
0: It is zippy, but it never goes full madcap crazy. Yeah, well,
1: I, I think it's partly the performances. Mm-hmm. You have very poker faced, stone faced performances, especially from the lead, Vlad Ivanov, who's mm-hmm. a Romanian character actor, usually plays kind of authority figures or bad guys Right. cast as this. Cop who, you know, this middle aged Bucharest cop who gets involved with a businessman and the businessman's girlfriend, and is, you know, kind of a bribe escalates into something yeah. completely different. Yeah. Uh,
0: businessman's a loose term. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, Leading up to the opening of the film, because parts of this sort of plays out backwards. Yeah, it's non-linear, yeah. Yeah. Where he has to go to the Canary Islands to learn Silbo Gomero, a whistling code. Which is
0: really cool.
1: Created by the inhabitants of the island of La Gomera. It's a really wacky conceit to build a film on. Yes,
0: 100%. Yeah, and they don't use a ton of the whistling language in the film. Uh, It's really more of an element of it than... Than I would say you know, the the overall theme. But the parts when they do use it, are pretty cool. They have stretches that are subtitled, uh, you know, whistling. subtitled like, whistling.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Good. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and they have uh, also sequences. Uh, a good part of it is the main character. Like you said the cop. He's learning how to speak the language, and so you know, y- you learn a little bit about how it works.
1: And the, the plot here is kind of convoluted.
0: Yeah, especially with the non-linear element. It's really not. I would say this is one of those films that it's important to pay attention in the first half hour, but if you get to the first half hour and you go, wait, how does that person know that person? Just stick with it, because it, it does all become clear by the end, but it is complicated.
1: And again, there's so much stuff in the plot that may come across as kind of, a you know, as as, an, as very broad. Yeah,
0: zany. There's a mattress factory with 30 million stuffed in two mattresses. And
1: a motel that only plays opera. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it is really kind of restrained by Pornboy's direction. Mm-hmm by his, his, you know, his camera work is not showy. It always has some kind of intent behind it, but it tends to be like kind of pretty naturalistic, even in terms of lighting. There's a lot of kind of funny stuff going on with sound mm-hmm. in this film, and not just the whistling. The whistling is just like one motif it among is. It is. lots of kind of interesting deployments of basically sound gags.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sound, uh, the sound is, I think, the one area where the film lets itself loose a little mm-hmm. bit. And you, you mentioned the lighting. I think the lighting was really interesting because this film is colorful. The Canary Islands setting is colorful. And even in Bucharest, a lot of the, you know, the settings, uh, there's a lot of cool work going on with color right here, but it's not Almodovar colorful. Yeah. And I think the lighting kind of tamps that down a little bit too.
1: A lot of the story too is it's it's interesting that it is really rooted in what are very kind of noirish archetypes. Absolutely. You, have, you know, you have just an archetypal femme fatale, Absolutely. always glamorously smoking a cigarette <laughs> next to a shaft of Sun light, sunbathing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and you know, this kind of hard luck patsy who mm-hmm. just wanted to make some money and is now wrapped up in all of this. You've got gangsters, you've got other corrupt cops. Yep, everybody
0: uh, is purchasable in this film.
1: And yet, it's not taking itself seriously at all. No. But no. it's not playing it too broad.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't want to give the impression that this film is boring or it takes like an interesting concept and stuffs it down into a box until it becomes, you know, a slog. Because it's not like that at all. It's just it's it's more just the directorial approach yeah. that is. I, I think it was really interesting and different.
1: I, I found it quite funny yeah.
0: too. Some of that comes down to the lead performance. He plays it very straight, but his his straight face reactions to the zany things going on are very funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you really
1: plays
0: it and I know we didn't really talk a whole lot about the plot of the film beyond uh, you know you've got you got cops and gangsters and femme fatales and uh, the Canary Islands the whistling language and uh, 30 million that everybody wants to get after but honestly one of the fun parts of watching this movie is putting together all the pieces so I don't want to say too much about the plot
1: I think a lot of what it's doing with with the structure, you know, with the chronology, is obviously reminiscent of a lot of Tarantino imitations from Absolutely. the late 90s, early 2000s. But
0: Absolutely, particularly in the structure.
1: Yeah, but what it reminded me more of, and maybe it's because I know that it was a reference point, mm-hmm. uh, is the Coens. And yeah. But it's sort of taking the plotting that you might find in wackier Coens films.
0: And the characters, too. Yeah. There and are then some
1: directing humorous. them, directing it, something, cl- I mean, his style is so much more restrained than that mm-hmm. and so much, so much even less varnished than the most kind of somber Cohen's films, but yeah, directing it in a very kind of somber style
0: and I mean, I think that's interesting uh, because you know it it's sort of like the style does create this world where you have these like kind of wacky, heightened characters in these complicated timelines, but it's like what that would be like in real life, and that has its own sort of magic to it of like these like eccentric gangsters existing in a real space.
1: They're eccentric gangsters, but they aren't eccentric performances. Like, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right, everybody, that's all for this week. Thank you again for joining us, Ignati. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Film Club wherever you get your podcasts. And then we'll be back next week with more Film Club.